Hello and welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Bible, something we have put on hold for a couple of years as we thought we would do something different. Uh, but after low these many years, um, uh, a lot of requests to go back to just this basic approach to scripture teaching that we're doing at our church here in Green Bay on Wednesday nights. A lot of churches don't do Wednesday nights at all anymore. So we thought, you know, why don't we be like everyone else? Because if nobody else wants to do it, why are we doing it? But uh, it turns out that uh, people were enjoying it, and not just in our own church. And, and a good evening, by the way, to those over in Appleton and Stevens Point, church family over there. But uh, a lot of people all over the country, I've been getting emails, more and more emails of people who say, you know, we've been watching this, and oh, we're so sad when it came to an end, and uh, we're homeschoolers, and you're our Bible teacher for our kids at home, and people have been <laughs> listening to these teachings and going back and listening to them two or three times in a row, which is stunning. I, I wouldn't listen to me that much. But anyway, so we thought, you know, let's, let's do this again, and we'll see if um, we don't have to be like everybody else, and as long as people are getting benefit from it, um, we're going to continue. Now, where we left off, basically, was this. When we came in and started this, we started at Genesis. And if you've missed it, uh, I presume you get this online. It's where everybody else is. So all these teachings from Genesis you know, all the way through, we went pretty much verse by verse through all the important parts. Of the, the, well, they're all important, but the parts that were really relevant to us as Christian uh, believers, we skipped over big chunks of, you know, the laws of Moses, you know, Leviticus and all that stuff. If you're having a hard time sleeping, read that stuff. But, uh, so, but all the major events... Uh, from Genesis and all the way through, and we came to uh, Israel being how they got to Egypt, and then how God brought them out of Egypt with Moses, and how from there they went into the promised land, conquering the promised land that God had given them. And, and it was really for two reasons. One was to fulfill God's promise to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to also to bring judgment. The Bible was very clear. He was bringing some serious butt-kicking to these pagans. And you say, why would we do that? You know, it's hard for us to relate to in our culture today, but these people were extraordinarily evil. Uh, these people, they would sacrifice their own children uh, to deities and stuff and the violence and stuff that if we got a picture of the way they were and what they did, it would very much change your perspective. Actually, it's a great movie. I can't think of the movie, but it's a Mel Gibson movie of when uh, the, uh, what the Aztecs were like in South America. Anyone remember the name of the movie? Apocalypto, Apocalypto yes. And, uh, you know, we always get the picture from, you know, secularists that it was so sad that, you know, the Christians from Spain came over, the conquistadors and stuff like that, and just destroyed this wonderful natural culture and stuff. And what was great about the movie, which was, obviously not a big fan of people who think the opposite of that, was they actually pictured what that culture was like. And if you want a good picture of the kind of culture that God would step in and smash to bits, rent that movie. Because it's a freaky deal. And it's quite horrifying. And, you know, and finally at the end, when it got to the end, the, they saw the conquistadors and were like, finally, you know, someone could come. And of course, People are retelling history. The conquistadors were bad, and Americans are bad, and everybody's evil, and we should have let everybody be their own thing. Uh, we really lose the context. These people were, in many respects, liberators. I know it'll go against with some of your heads, but for what it's worth, certainly this was the case. 
in this land, they were horribly wicked people, extremely violent. It was a very destructive culture, and God had had it up to here and used the people of Israel to come and wipe them all out because it was awful what they were doing. And by the power of the swords, subdued the land, and then they were there. So uh, they went for a while, and they were under the rule of just judges, God raising up people. God wanted to be their king. Look to me for your answers. Finally, the uh, children of Israel wanted to be like everybody else because everybody else had a king. And God said, you don't want a king. Trust me. You don't want a king. The kings will really impose their will on you and take stuff from you and the taxes and everything. But they said, no, we want a king. We want a king. So finally, God gave them kings. That first one was uh, Saul, and then David started out good enough, but they really went to the toilet <laughs> much past Solomon after that. It was, it was pretty bad, and it was very rough. And we went through first and second kings, and we were looking at all these kings and how the people were losing their focus from God, and the kings were, most of them, horribly wicked men that did very terrible things and insulted God after all the things that God had done for them. I mean, you know, you look at the Exodus story and God bringing them out of Egypt and all the incredible miracles he did. And so after all that, these people got there and they basically thumbed their noses at God and were more interested in the pagan culture in which they lived. And quite frankly, we have that problem to this day. We enjoy our Christian culture, but then people seem to be drawn to what the secular people are doing and what the pagans are around us. And we oftentimes try to adapt pagan concepts and ideas into our Christian faith. It usually doesn't end very well, something the church has had to struggle with for some 2,000 years now, and we still struggle to this day, railing against making sure that we're in the world, but we're not of the world and not polluted by the world. So that's the thing. Well, these people got totally and completely polluted, and the Bible says they started acting like the heathens, and they were worshiping these stupid gods and stuff, and they were sacrificing their own children into the fires and all kinds. It was just, and, and God kept warning them, you better stop it because if you don't stop it, I'm going to kick your butts and I'm going to squish you like a bug. And now much of the Old Testament, if you look at a lot of these prophets and stuff that you read, uh, Amos and all these different guys, and, and uh, even uh, some of the bigger ones, Isaiah and stuff like that, were all during this time. And they kept warning them, stop it! Because God is going to bring judgment and they spoke in contemporary terms of the day. It's actually rather difficult to read some of those prophets and understand what they're talking about at the time. You just have to put it in context. And it's great. If you, if you go online, you can get you know, one of these timelines of the Bible and see where uh, these uh, events took place, oftentimes lining up in the book of Kings. And you can actually read the book of Kings and, see, and then read the prophet and kind of get a sense of what's going on. Um, it's kind of a difficult reading, but... Uh, uh, they were yelling about what was happening of the day. Of the day, God was warning them about the judgment to come in no uncertain terms. Even us, I mean, you read that stuff, you may not understand everything they're referencing to about Edom, this and that, and all these different things, but you get the sense, this is not good. <laughs> God is torqued, and he's really warning them there's going to be some serious judgment. Finally, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of this nonsense, God can't take it anymore and finally brings the hammer on them and brings uh, the uh, Babylonians come and, and wipes out Jerusalem and basically crushes the, uh, the nation and sweeps them away into captivity. And you can imagine how horrible that was. And it was every bit 
as horrible as you can imagine. Very heartbreaking, very sad, uh, and very destructive to the nation. Now, the amazing thing to me was how long it took for God to do that to them. I mean, he kept threatening, you know, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. And I'm reading this halfway through, I'm thinking, just kill him already. What's taking so long? But for those who often think God gets too impatient with you and God's mad at you because you still don't do everything just the right way and you forget to pray, and sometimes you kick the dog and, and uh, yell at your husband or yell at the dog and kick your husband, whatever the deal is, and you think, surely God is mad at me and God won't. Really, just relax. You think God is impatient with you? Read Kings. Because clearly... God has quite the patience. Then you say, well, what about when God get mad at so-and-so, you know, Moses or whatever, different things. Oftentimes, where you saw the most immediate judgment of God is when God himself, as close as could, could be, through an angel or a burning bush or something, would show up and talk to somebody, and they dissed God, which actually Moses did. God almost killed him for it. He said, wow, wow, I better be careful. God's going to kill me. No, 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 no. It's one thing for us by faith and listening and reading and stuff and doing our best. You know, Paul said we look through a glass darkly. It's kind of hard to see what's really going on spiritually most of the time for us. We live by faith and all that stuff. That's one thing. But if the Lord Jesus shows up to you in person tonight, in Technicolor, HDTV, 16.9, widescreen, and he shows up in your bedroom and tells you, tomorrow morning I want you to do ABC, and you go, I don't want to. I would stand back if I were you. <laughs> Not a good idea. In fact, even, well, that's just Old Testament. No, no, even in the New Testament. You remember uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. They basically weren't honest in the church. And as a result, the Holy Spirit knocked them down, killed them. You say, well, a lot of people are dishonest today in the church. That's true. But the presence of God was so powerful. So many miracles were happening. God was so present. When you insult God to his face, that's a danger. It is. That would be a very dangerous place to be. Uh, the bad news is we don't experience as much of the power of God today as they did. The good news is if, you know, we did, half of us would be dead probably because we're pretty obnoxious and stubborn and we want things our way and we're not very disobedient. So just relax. God is very patient with you and he's working with you and da, da, da. And certainly he was patient with the Israelites to my perspective beyond the call, okay? So finally he comes, and he hammers them. And it's bad. And they all get swept away. This is a major moment in Jewish history. One of the major moments, obviously, is obviously when uh, they came out of Exodus, and Moses the lawgiver, that was what started the entire nation. That was huge. And really up to this point would be like the next major, gigantic event in their history when they got swept away into Babylonian captivity. What was it, 70 years or something? Do you know? 70 years? 70 years. Uh, a fair amount of time, and it was very harsh. And then we'll read how they came back and started rebuilding. But really, from this time on, they pretty much lost control of their own destiny, if you will. Uh, the nation was able to go back under favorable kings and rebuild the cities, as we'll talk about. But they didn't really have the kind of autonomy that... Um, they had had for low those many years. It was their country. Really, from then on, they were always kind of under the thumb of somebody, even until the time Jesus came. And when Jesus came, they were under the thumb of the Romans. Romans. The Romans came in. So they were always. Uh, and then even the Romans, at some point, 
uh, came and just wiped out the Jews again. And Jesus talked about this. He was very sad as he, remember, he looked at the city, he wept over the city because he saw what was coming. And he warned them, a great if they would just listen to God, they could avoid it. He knew it was avoidable, but they wouldn't listen. And I don't know how many years, 70 years or so after that, the, the, the Romans came in and wiped out Jerusalem, broke the temple, and to this day, it's, the only thing left is a wall. And you'll see them, Jews to this day, praying at the, at the Wailing Wall. They're just, it's the only piece of that gigantic, glorious temple that uh, is, uh, is up today. Uh, and so all those years, that, what's really, truly amazing is that the Jewish people were able to maintain their culture all those years, scattered all over kingdom come. They were all over, the world, but they held it together. And it wasn't until recent history, after all those years, uh, after World War II, uh, they went back to the land of Israel and got a little carving out piece of land there. And uh, they raised their flag, and it was like 1948 is when they became an Israeli state again. That was a big, major state. It was the first time since this that we're about to read that they had their own control of their own destiny again. We're talking a long time. This recent thing of, of the Jews going back and now controlling uh, their own destiny, this, it, we're talking a major chunk of time here. It's, just, it's massive. So it's really huge. And that's why so many people who study the Bible are convinced that this is a sign of the last days. The last days could be, well, according to the New Testament, the last days started 2,000 years ago, you know, but in the greater scheme of things, these are the last days. Well, let's really get to the end now. Now, it could still be a couple hundred years. I don't know what the deal is, but whatever event, at some point, this all comes to an end. And that's one of the major signs. And that's when the Jews came in and all the Arabs and Palestinians and stuff have hated them ever since, since 94, hated their guts and have tried to wipe them off the face of the earth on several occasions. There were several, two or three major wars where they were outnumbered, incredibly outnumbered. And miraculously, they beat back and they kept taking over more and more land. And that's why they're still screaming about today is, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're taking control of Palestinian lands and your, your occupiers. Really? They were the ones who attacked them. And, you know, it would be like if the UP invaded Wisconsin. Not very likely. But we go back and we kick their butts. Now we're in the UP. And they're like, well, why are you here? Because you started it. All right? So anyway, that's part of it. And it's part of their culture and everything. So this, to this day, they're still fighting over that whole deal. So anyway, after them getting swept away at this major heart-rending moment where they are no longer their own nation, and it's a big stinking deal. And again, until 1948, they never really had it at this level again. They had a, a, a good semblance of it until the Romans came after Jesus. And then it was just really for 2,000 years, they'd been just scattered everywhere until just recently. So anyway, we get the story of Daniel. Daniel starts, and we're going to start with Daniel, start going through this, where he starts telling the story of what it was like when they got swept into captivity, at least as far as his life is concerned. All right? All that rambling to finally get to one of the verses. Let's start. Daniel, the first chapter, the first verse. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And as far as I can tell, this would have been the last king they ever had, right? From then on, there were no more kings. They haven't had kings since. Uh, so it was during the third year of that guy's reign, of that, that king, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, not to visit, but to besiege it. 
And he crushed it. And it's, it's, well, it was quite, you can only imagine the violence and the blood and the gore. And it's, just, it's horrifying. Historically, you can, again, Google it if you want to get some biblical insight. It was nasty. And just wiped them out. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand, this Nebuchadnezzar king. Along with some of the articles of the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So here comes in the, basically in that little opening, Salvo, this is, he just refer, references, this is when Nebuchadnezzar came and wiped us out. You can find more detail in, in some of the other prophets uh, that actually lived through it. It's quite, it was quite awful. Uh, but anyway, it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz. There's a name for your kid. Looking for a baby name? How about Ashpenaz? It's got Penaz. Anyway, the king was, uh, was, he was the chief of the court's officials. And he was ordered to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So, uh, and, and they described young men without any physical defect handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, sharp as attack, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So what he does now is he says, because they bring them into their land, and Nebuchadnezzar, as you know, Alexander the Great, all the people, they conquered all these lands, and they would try to bring the best of the best back and, in, and try to integrate them into their kingdom and stuff like that. That's what they were doing to Israel. So they come and they do this, killed so many people, and then they brought these guys. And then out of the remnant that was taken away into captivity, meaning the guys who were not killed, the ones who survived, of them, he wanted to get the best of the best. So the, the, the guys that he said, bring in, these people of the royal family and nobility, these are hoity-toity guys. These are the guys that some of you who, you know, into class envy don't like, you know, the rich it's not fair that the rich have everything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have liked these cats because Daniel was amongst these guys. The reason they got picked is because they were from these noble, successful families, and they tended to be treated with a little bit more class and respect than everybody else. It's not fair. Welcome to life. Life is not fair, but this is working for Daniel. And apparently, Daniel is quite the cute little boy or young man. He's not a boy. He's talking about little boys. They were men. They were good-looking guys, no physical defect, and handsome, like looking in the mirror, you know. So, I mean, these, these were like, yo, yo mama, guys. Uh, and you have to understand, of all these people, and of all their kingdom, to go select four guys, you're going through a whole bunch of people to find the best of the best. So, they, these are the smartest, the most educated, the most skillful, the physically healthiest, and the best stinking good-looking that they could find. Because they're going to come serve the king, and the king didn't want to be around ugly people, apparently. So, <laughs> I, I would have never made it. You know, I don't have the pizzazz. That so, these are the good-looking boys, and they find four of them. They're really sharp. These are the smartest kids in the class. Whole, so, just to give you a picture, that Daniel and these guys were the cream, creme de la creme. These are the hoity-toity boys of the Israelites that came to Babylon in this captivity. And he said, you're supposed to find these guys. And his, his instruction was, they were supposed to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Why? Because it would be like, again, we 
invade Mexico or something. We bring the Mexicans, don't do that kind of stuff, but, you know, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to force them to learn everything about us, and, you know, and we're the conquering nation, now you've got to be like us, and blah, 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 blah. Okay? So, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, this is of no small deal. The king only ate the very best. This was the, in a way, this is, if you're Daniel and these three other guys, in one respect, you've just struck the lottery, all right? Because while they've destroyed everything and brought everybody back and who knows how everybody else is suffering, you now get pulled in. You're going to serve the, you're going to get the best education they can offer. They're going to train them for a couple of two, three years, whatever the deal was here. Everything about, uh, for three years, um, about their culture and their language. So they became skilled. They spoke the language very well. And they understood, again, these are really smart guys. These guys, they were quick learners. They were sharp dudes. And uh, so they learned all this stuff. And they ate the very best of the best. They ate from the king's table, not from the king's servant's table. Or act, actually, three levels down would have been good food, I would think, compared to what he supposed the peasants were eating out in the street. These guys got the food off the king's table. Life is good from this respect, that you're going to be fairly comfortable as they want to be brought in and they want to be groomed. Again, they want to incorporate these people into their culture as they conquered these nations. And no different than for the Israelites. So uh, they were to be trained there for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So then these guys were supposed to come in. Uh, but there were also others that were in the king's service. But again, as they bring in all these different cultures. Now, among those who were chosen... Some were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. So now not only do, are they brought in here uh, and learn the culture, they lose their names. Although the Bible often refers to Daniel as Daniel. He wasn't actually called Daniel to these people. They gave him a new name, Belshazzar. Belshazzar is now the name of Daniel, and I'm glad because I won't have to pronounce that very often as they continue to call him Daniel. Uh, to Hananiah, they gave him the name Shadrach. To Mishael, they gave him the name Meshach. And to Azariah, they gave him the name Abednego, which we will see later when we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the three uh, Israelis that were these hoity-toity guys, that the creme of the creme, that uh, brought in to serve the king often referred to as the he three Hebrew children in Bible stories and stuff like that. They, they weren't children. They were grown men and uh, apparently quite the cute boys. All right. So, so they bring him in and Daniel's part of him and these three other guys. In one sense, it's great. But they get there and they see the food that they're serving. And they kind of freak because their culture from a Jewish perspective is they're very strict about diet to this day. Jews are very strict about their diet, um, you know, the, for whatever reason. I, I think actually they go, and always did go way beyond what Moses even said. They added stuff, and they still add stuff to this day. They've got rules. If you're going to have a kosher kitchen in a Jewish home, they've got like, they've got to have two different grills, one for meat, one for something else. I mean, they can't even touch. I mean, they're just really, really strict. Uh, the Moses was strict. These guys actually, I always thought, made it stricter. Remember when Jesus came along, he kept messing with their heads doing stuff that would freak him out. Why are you doing that? Well, Moses didn't say he couldn't do it, but they did. They added to it. It was as if the law of Moses wasn't hard enough, which it's very difficult to follow those rules. Thinking, well, they make it harder. 
which is the tendency of religious nitwits, you know, just to make life as miserable and oppressive as they can because they like to be in charge and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so they come in. And as Jews, they're not allowed to eat certain foods. Uh, pork, for one. Now, you've got to assume that the king is having some pretty nice slices of ham being served up. Would be if I was the king, because I like bacon and ham and all the other stuff. Uh, they weren't supposed to eat shrimp, right, and certain things, all kinds of food. They were very, and again, to this day, very limited and very strict about what they could eat. So anyway, they get brought in, they see this incredible feast, and they kind of freak because they're not supposed to eat any of this stuff. And uh, it puts them in a very difficult situation. And uh, it's difficult because if you take off the king, he kills you. It's basically what happens. You think you got a bad boss. I mean, it's, you know, eh. if you so much as got them upset, they would kill you. These kings, they just, I, you know, if you were a court jester, it didn't make them laugh just right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was tough gigging by the king. But despite that threat, it says in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So now he's setting up for a confrontation. And, uh, but he tries to deal with it at the lowest level he can. So uh, rather than going to the king, I'm not eating your food because he probably would have been killed right away. So he asks the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Uh, now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord, of my Lord, the king. Why? Because they would off these guys for any and every conceivable reason. The nice thing is you live in the service of the king. The thing that they lived in mortal fear is literally, you have no idea, the simplest little transgression that would take him off, you would be killed. And this guy, no, and he starts talking about it. He says, I'm afraid of the Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men? The king would then sit down and discuss to me why you guys aren't looking as good as you should. Is that what it says? No, the king will have my head because of you. And he's not exaggerating. This is the way they lived. So this guy freaks. You want to not eat the good food, the best food that we have, because remember, they are just one of all these different guys that served at the king's pleasure. Uh, so, you know, they're supposed to be brought to them, you know, as healthy and the best bread and well-educated they possibly could be. Is if I start feeding you other stuff that's not as the quality of this stuff, you're not going to look as good. You're not going to be as healthy. And he'll cut my head off over this because my job is to make sure you are at your physical peak. All right. Now, kind of good, but they were, they're kind of treated like cattle to some degree. You know, it's like if you got a, you know, we're from Wisconsin, cows, you know. You got a lot of money in a cow, and you want to feed the cow the best grain you can, because you want these animals to, I mean, it's like that for these guys. They didn't control their own lives, and they were the cattle, if you will, kind of high-end cattle, but nonetheless, they had to be brought in a healthy way. So Daniel says to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servant for 10 days. Just give us 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. 
Just give us 10 days. Just give us nothing but vegetables and water. Ew. All right? And, and just, just for 10 days. If we don't look as good as these other guys, then we'll deal with it then. He's, he's really buying time for, by faith. He has no intention of eating any of this stuff. These guys were very devout and would have rather been killed than to defile themselves, which, you know, thankfully from a New Testament standpoint, we get to eat anything. Okay, so the guy agrees to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So that was from then on. He said, okay, that's what you want. This is what you get. Now, there will be people which I will not argue with. I really don't care. But there will be people who will, you know, they get excited about these kind of verses and they're convinced that you will be healthier if you don't eat meat. And if you just eat vegetables and water, you will be much healthier because that's what happened to these guys. These guys, the other guys had all the meats and everything else. It was bad. You know, they had the Chinese food with MSG. You know, they didn't want, they went to Burger King and all that, all that stuff's got bad food in it. And so if you just eat vegetables and water, you will be healthier because that's what it says in the Bible. Number one, that is not what it says in the Bible. And number two, what was happening here was really the divine hand of God that was intervening for these guys because he wanted to bless them. He's going to use them in some pretty amazing ways, which you're about to see. Sometimes God just shows up. Now, not always, and there were thousands of people who got killed, who God did not show up for, <laughs> because they fell under the judgment of the king that came in and wiped them all out. So anyway, these guys, God shows up. They knew what was on the line for them, and he blesses them, and physically they are at prime health. They actually look healthier than the other guys. If you're a vegetarian and convinced that's what's good for you and you'll be healthier than everybody else, knock yourself out. Just don't invite me for dinner. I'm just not a vegetable-only kind of guy. So that's how they start out, and that's, that's the big deal for them. Now, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And uh, you say, well, how did God do that to them? Uh, he did that because they were being trained and taught by the best teachers in the world. So it wasn't just a divine thing. You can't say, well, I'm not going to go to school. I'm just going to trust God to make me smart. <laughs> That's what he did for these. No. No, God gave them this, but he did this in the context of the best teachers and stuff of the day. That's what their job was, to bring them the best possible education. And this was God blessing them with his education. Uh, and they got as intelligent as they possibly could. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's like people I've met you know, who, who want to learn how to play the piano. And I've literally had, literally had people come up and say, will you, will you pray for me? Will you lay hands on my hands and pray for me? And, and I said, why? He said, because I, I want to play the piano like you. I said, no. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. They're delusional. They actually believe this. They think if I pray for them, that they'll be able to play. No, you learn to play like this by practicing till you can't stand it anymore. That's how you learn. Okay, so just to straighten that out. So he goes through all this literature and learning and stuff like that. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. They, they really sparkle. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into a service, which was three years, the chief official presented them 
to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, even though that's not what they called them. So they entered the king's service. So after, what they basically did is they trained these young men as you would a thoroughbred. And after all the training and stuff, then they brought him to the owner, the master, if you will, and then he checked them out. The king is impressed. Again, at this point, first of all, they were really smart guys in the first place. By the command here, they're supposed to find the smartest of the smart, the best hoity-toityest people they could from this nation that they came and conquered. These were the guys. They're good-looking, sharp, healthy guys. They prosper for three years. They learn everything. They are well-spoken. They know the traditions. They know exactly how to act in front of the king. They have all the protocols down. It has been drilled into them. And of course, you know, the threat of having your head cut off would be kind of a motivator to get that right. But that's what they did. And so but the king meets with these guys and goes, I like it. I like what I see. These guys seem sharp. They're intelligent. Done well. So they bring them into the service of the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there uh, until the first year of King Cyrus. So they basically were the advisors of the day, which fell in the category of magicians and enchanters and that kind of thing. That was the category that these four guys were stuck into. I don't think they would have ever referred to themselves as magicians or whatnot, but basically they were the wise men. And these wise guys often were into the different arts and who knows, pagan arts, dark arts of the day and stuff like that. And they uh, had all their insights. So they, they were basically part of this whole deal. Okay, now, chapter two. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now, it'll get clearer in a minute, but let me tell you what he's asking for here. He has this dream, and I think everybody can kind of relate to this. Have you ever had a dream when you walk up, wake up just, man, that was a weird dream, and some people say, what did you dream? And I just, I don't really remember. What, but you just remember you had this dream, it just kind of creeped you out, okay? So the king has this dream that just gives him the willies, and he wakes up, and for the life of him, he cannot remember what he dreamt. Now, here's how it normally went. The king or somebody would have a dream. He would tell these sorcerers, magicians, enchanters, and wise men of his day, hey, guys, I had this dream that, you know, I was eating this gigantic marshmallow, and I woke up, my pillow was gone. What do you think? All right? And, uh, or whatever the deal was. And, uh, and they would tell whatever thing, and then their job was to interpret, well, what that means is this, that, and the other. And the, but what the king here is saying to them is, I need you to tell me what my dream was. Not just what it meant. What was it? What did I dream? <laughs> so when they came in and stood before the king, he said, listen, I've had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Good to see you, Bob. How you doing? It's good to be here. And uh, just tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it for you. And the king replied to the astrologers, look, you don't understand. What I've already decided is this. If you do not tell me what my dream was, 
and then interpret it. I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. And they knew he wasn't kidding. Now, can you imagine having this job? Life is kind of good because you're above all the other poor saps out there. Who knows what they're doing for a living? You get the nice gig. You get the nice food. You get the nice house. Okay, everything's good. You got kind of a higher position than everybody else. The king calls you in. Tell me about my dream. Well, describe it to us. I don't know what it was. Tell me what it was. You better pay attention because I've already decided that if you can't tell me what it is, I'm going to kill you, cut you into pieces. This is a disconcerting moment if you're one of these guys. So once more, they uh, replied, well, let the king tell his servant the dream and we will interpret it. Wait a minute, did I just skip over something? I did, yeah, verse 6. After burning your house into rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So he's kind of like in giving them incentive. I would think just being chopped into pieces would have been enough incentive for me. <laughs> I don't really, don't really need your gifts. I appreciate it, you know. But uh, he says, look, I'm not an unreasonable man. <laughs> All right? I'm a nice guy. I don't want to be thought of as a jerk. Tell me what it was. And I'll give you all kinds of good stuff. You don't, I'm going to chop you into pieces. Okay, so these guys freaking. That's when they said in verse 7, well, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will interpret it. And the king answered, I am certain that you're just trying to gain time. You're stalling. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream. And I will know that you can interpret it for me. Well, these guys are freaking out. Clearly, this king is a complete nut job. He actually becomes a nut job, doesn't he? Literally, yeah. <laughs> God has a way of humbling people. <laughs> Wait to see what God does to this jerk. It's highly entertaining. All right? But anyway... At this point, you got to wonder, this guy has lost all the marbles in his brain. And the astrologers, and I promise you, fearfully, they are saying this to him. They're saying, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician enchanter or astrologer. Now you have to understand, they're freaking. But at this point, they're desperate. They're toast anyway. He's going to cut them into pieces. You know, if you're going to die, at least go out trying to reason with the guy. And they're saying, man, no one on earth has ever asked what you're asking. Well, he didn't care. This man was a narcissist to an incredible degree. This is the guys we're about to read a little bit later. Builds a big statue. Was it of himself? Whatever. <laughs> And everybody has to worship the statue because I'm really so fabulous. This guy is nuts. He, I, you know, at this point, he's had so much power, so much, I mean, he has conquered the world. The, the world at the time, no one could withstand him. And he gets everything he wants. And at some point, it just makes you nuts. And this guy was going nuts. So uh, this is what he's demanding. He says, no one's ever done it. Verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they don't live among humans. Well, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. 
Now, who are wise men of Babylon at this time? Daniel, Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they're not there at the time of this exchange, but the king is so hacked, not only is he going to kill him, just kill them all. <laughs> Clearly, the man is out of his mind. But just kill, not just these wise men, just get them all, kill them all. We're going to start over again. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, uh, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. <laughs> I mean, he knows what's happening. I'm here to kill you. Oh, let me grab my coat. You know, so he's going, and he's under the control of these guys, and he kind to basically get around to the question of why? <laughs> why exactly are we going off to our deaths? And so he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Now, these guys are seriously disciplined to be this calm, I think. Well, Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this Daniel went into the king and asked for time that he might interpret the dream for him. Okay, so now next week, we'll pick it up here and we're going to see what happens. He and his buddies are under the threat of death. They're all going to die. Horrible deaths, all of them. And the king, he's just an irrational psychopath that eventually completely loses his mind and lives like an animal for seven years, which we'll see as we go later into the book. So this guy is just, just a nut job of astronomic proportions. Down his buddies get huddled off. They're off the take, and he's just going to kill them all. Why? Well, no one can tell him the king. So Daniel goes and, and asks of the king, just give me a little bit of time, and I think I can do it for you. Well, this is pure faith of this. We're talking about stalling for time. <laughs> so this is what he's doing. Next week we'll come back and we'll pick it up and see what happens to Daniel and these wise men of the day uh, in this situation. And that is that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to learn from your word. It's good, Lord, to understand the scriptures. Help us to be biblically literate and to understand uh, your ways and how you uh, intervened in behalf of, of these people during this very difficult time. And as we read about the account of Daniel, help us to get insights and understanding uh, through all of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.